Thank you, Jim. You notice the, uh, the emphasis last week. Uh, Jim and I, we were talking about the donuts and how Jim, when I said to him and to Tish, uh, we, uh, we don't have donuts. Maybe that's a sign that we shouldn't be eating so much sugar. Uh, Jim, of course, said, you know, well, that's just your interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> this week, he's talking about bringing junk food all the way to, uh, to, the, uh, to our, our social night. And so I'm going to try to work with the mic here for a second because I'm not sure which one's mine. Um, but anyway, it's a lot of fun to, to have all of you all here. If someone knows the mic thing and can help me with that, I'd be grateful. There you go. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Frank Scott. It's one of those that work. So, uh, so you notice kind of like our habit, because if you know me enough, I'm on this uh, very restrictive diet, and my, my taste has changed now. So I can't have sugar. I can't have... Uh, even things like honey and maple syrup or rice or uh, white rice anyway. And, and so I like the healthy stuff. And, and Jim's over here, you know, propagating uh, an unhealthy social time. I don't, I, I don't understand it. So you, you bring what you want to and, and, uh, and we'll see what kind of person you are. That's what it is. <laughs> Thank you, Gus. Um, am I... <laughs> Might have to have the mic turned on. <laughs> you guys did well. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly right, Jim. There's there's always a tit for tat. There's a uh, so um, this is a time of delight. Uh, with with the kids being here, it was it was a reminder to me about. Uh, of the life that's been promised to us. Um, we've been reading through the book of Hebrews, and we've gotten to Hebrews chapter 4, and it's a whole chapter on rest and, uh, on, a, on the importance of it. <clears throat> In order to really like kind of talk about that well, though, it's, um, it's great that we have kids here in our midst because it reminds us all the way back to the beginning of what rest is truly supposed to be about. And if you all know the story of, of Genesis, just trying to capture a bit of, uh, of our family background. Uh, we are part of the family of God, and our Father started this whole thing with an act of, of creation. Uh, he, he has given us our identity by, by breathing and speaking life into this world. And so we, we begin to know our identity when we look at what God has done over the course of, of history. And the first thing he did was, was create. And he created something out of nothing. And he created order and land out of chaos and water, you know, the, the water of chaos and, and the nothingness of creation. That's what he did. Uh, so out of nothing came something. Out of chaos came, came order. Um, also came this garden. You know, we, we know the story, if you know Genesis well enough, that there was, there was chaos all around. He, he, he shaped and he, he put the continents together, and then he, he puts together in the middle of it uh, this garden uh, atop this hill, and it's a beautiful place called Eden. Uh, Eden, in some Semitic languages, has an aspect which means delight. Uh, it has, in, in most of its uh, language background, an understanding of abundance, of, of flourishing, of this place of bliss. 
And, and everything that is in there works. Everything that's in there is, is functioning the way that it's supposed to be doing. Uh, you know, if you're around kids for long enough, it, it's, it's almost the exact opposite of having like little children rocking around and knocking things over. We, I'm just kind of trying to be joking. We, we, we love our kids, but we have to kid-proof our house. You know, anywhere, and, and Elizabeth is much better at this than I was. Anytime there was like a little corner that was exposed, uh, she would find like the little rubber thing that fit on top of that. Any cabinet that could be open where there were dangerous things in there, she found the little lock uh, put in there. Like she made sure that there was order in the midst of that. Uh, at the same time, uh, my heart in the midst of that was to look in their face and just find delight all the time. And so as they're getting in all that stuff, I'm laughing hysterically. I'm like, look at that. <laughs> You're getting in the middle of that stuff. That's so much fun. And, and so our hearts are represented a little bit differently, but they're both good. And so she would say that sometimes, you know, kids can, can remove chaos and, uh, you know, and, and that's, uh, or cause chaos. And, and I'm saying at the same time that that's a removal of the chaos in my own heart to help me understand delight. Uh, but they're both true. The point is that with God, he also created this place of delight and this place of order uh, in this garden. And in this garden, uh, you know, it, it says that there were these streams and these springs that sprung up out of the ground into these rivers, these four rivers that flowed out around the whole world, around the, that part of the world. And so the, the garden itself had a, a self-watering system. You know, it, it, you didn't have to go outside and turn on the sprinklers. You didn't have to, like, do all that drudgery of hooking up the, the hose and, and watering the plants. You know, they just walked outside and everything was, was watered. It was beautiful. And it was a symbol of what our Father's hope for us was always meant to be. One of the things as you read scripture to keep in mind is that whenever you see a picture of land or any time you see a picture of like water, that's always a reflection of what our human soul is to be like. Uh, so for instance, the, uh, you know, it talks about the, the chaos of the waters. Uh, it's actually a, a, a representative of the chaos of our own internal soul. Uh, guys like Melville, writing Moby Dick, he, he talked about how the, the human soul longs to be near water because it's like an echo of our own heart. And so uh, ancient Near East peoples, they saw the land and they saw waters as emblematic of their own heart and our own soul. And so when Jesus walked on water, it was a symbol of him being able to calm the storms of our own life and, and have authority over the very things that our soul might be troubled about. And so in Eden... You see this place of, of perpetual delight, of, of waters that, that came up out of the ground, that came and flowed up out of the, the very land that was being cultivated and tended to by Adam and Eve. And so the trees themselves, they, they had this incredible fruit. And everywhere they walked, they were, they were provided for. And then there was the, the one tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God told them not to eat from. Because for all of us, the, the very source of life is not to ever come from creation itself. Uh, God knew that if we decided to rebel against him, then our own life source would be cut off. And so he symbolized that by putting it into a tree form, a creation, part of creation. And he said, don't eat of this because it'll, it'll, it'll bring death. And, and it has since then. Uh, Human 
the, the human soul ever since then has been longing for, uh, for, for rest, longing for that sense of the garden being restored. Because once we ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we began to discern for ourselves where life comes from. And so as a result of eating of that, God sent Adam and Eve outside of the garden. And if you remember what happened, he said to Adam that you will have to work the ground with much toil in order to get and to produce that which you want from it. And so before there was, there was delight. They could walk outside and pick what they wanted to. Now they're going to have to go into this wilderness, and they're the ones that are going to have to produce in order to get food, get sustenance, get the things that they're seeking after in life. And, and ever since then, the, the, the soul of humanity at large in general has been like a wilderness, has been like a desert, has been like a place of chaos, has been restless. Uh, because we, we, have, we have forgotten that life doesn't come from creation. You know, we, we see it sometimes in, uh, you know, in, in addictions um, where people are literally like clinging to a substance in order to find their sense of stability, to find some sense of peace. Uh, and so, you know, I, I used to do substance abuse counseling and, and work in that field for a bit. And, and the conversations uh, around this thing is that it, it had become like a god to them. And in order to kind of break free from that, you would, you would teach people to say, you know, that they have a higher power. And, and again, I'm, I'm a full believer of Jesus, but I wasn't working in a Christian setting. So they would have to turn to something other than that because they recognized that that thing to them had become like a God to them. And so one of the ways that we would break that in counseling is to acknowledge that this thing had control over them and there's something higher that they have to look to to satisfy them. And so we, we kind of know that logically if we've been in this culture for long enough, and we've been enough people that have gone through like 12 steps in recovery. We, we know that that restlessness is there. For all of us, uh, the, the garden itself of this ever-flowing life is meant to be our model and our example. So when God sends them out, they're in the, they're, they're in, uh, the, the chaos of the wilderness. And, and the story of Moses is of Israel being taken out of Egypt and brought into a wilderness on purpose as a reflection of their own souls. They had been enslaved for hundreds of years, and their souls had gotten used to not having that, that life in them. And so God leads them to a place, and he says, I'll, I'll feed you manna. I'll bring water from the rocks. I will be your God. Your clothes won't wear out. I will be to you this source of never-ending life. And if you remember last week, the, the people got angry because they, they wanted meat. You know, they, they wanted more than the simple things that God was giving to them. And God got angry because it was a recognition that their souls were craving for something more than what God was wanting to provide for them. You know, if it's not manna, it's, it's going to be meat. If it's not meat, it's going to be something else. And you and I, we, we've done that before in some ways. If it's not a promotion, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, friendships. If it's not friendships, it's going to be our clothes. If it's not our clothes, it's going to be something that we all, we're all trying to go for that next thing with. And so the, the, the ideal that we have is, is with Jesus. And you guys know the story perhaps uh, in John chapter 4 where Jesus comes to a woman at a well. And, and she is quite literally going into the land and, and having to, to go and, and find water on her, on her own. You guys have heard the term maybe uh, digging your own well. You know, it's finding water. It's toiling. It's, it's doing the work of finding water so that you don't have to feel thirsty and, and hungry all the time. And she had been in this perpetual cycle of digging her own wells for years. She had gone through several different husbands. I think she was on her fifth or sixth at the time. And then Jesus walks up to her 
and says, hey, could you give me some water? You guys know the story from John chapter 4. And uh, she says back to him, you know, you a Jew, why would you ask me, you know, where to find water from? He says, I'll tell you the truth. If you knew who was before you, uh, you would have water that not only satisfies your thirst, but it would come out as water that gushes out from your innermost being. That you have streams of living water, this abundant life flowing out of you into eternal life. The idea that Jesus was presenting in that was that if you come to me, I will restore you back to Eden. If you come to me, you'll find that the innermost parts of your being have life that flow out of you. Uh, that, that you always have this joy, always have this light, always have this peace at your fingertips. It's always literally going to be coming from within you. You're not going to have to go dig for it. Uh, you're not going to have to go find a well and, and stay at that well toiling. You're not going to have to pray and fast. You're not going to have to beat yourself up. You're not going to have to go and do those kind of things. Eventually, you find out that the life of Jesus is always within you because it's a restoration of the garden. Again, the garden had water flowing up out of it. And Jesus says in that passage, if you learn from me, and in, in the Greek, it's like in time, you will have these rivers of living water that will flow out of you. Because you are meant to be a garden. And in that garden, God rested on the seventh day. He, he did all the works of creation, of, of building up all the stuff. And, and he rested. He said, you know, that, that's, from this point forward, uh, the work for all that you need for life is done. You're not going to need to dig your own wells. You're not going to need to toil when you're with me. Jesus has always been restoring us back to that place, back to a place of rest. And I want to talk today a bit about how to maintain rest. So in Hebrews chapter 4, if you want to look at that passage, in verse 1, it said that God's promise of entering his rest still stands, which is amazing. So uh, God had made you and I and, and all of creation and all of humanity. And those that he loves to set his love upon us, we turned to him and we, we walked away. And yet he said that even though we walked away, his rest, his delight, his garden is nonetheless always available to us. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful show that, that he has never given up on you, and he will never give up on you, for the promise of rest for you still stands, and, and it will always. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. So the, the rest of God is something to be experienced like a garden of waters that flow up out of you. And for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. So in Moses' times, the promise of rest was for all those who were following Moses to the desert. And, and Joshua, the one leader who would come after Moses, was given the task of leading the people of God into the promised land. Again, the land being an example of our human soul, the people were going to go to the land of promise and there would flow with milk and honey. These are symbols of the sweet things and the harmony of life. You know, bees make honey, so the harmony of a community comes together and creates these sweet things. That the tending of cows, eating the, the, the land itself, produces the milk over the course of time. So it's a, it's a show of all creation working together in harmony to produce good things. And so they were being called back to the garden, the land of promise. And it's not a land that they were going to have to toil and work hard within. 
And, and that's your call and my call as Christians is that, that the, the opposite of rest is toil. And, and you can experience this rest if it's there for you. But the opposite of that is, is toil. And so toil in the Hebrew understanding and the Greek understanding is, is working hard uh, to the point of just striving, of believing that I have to do all things in order to preserve myself, in order to, to make sure that I'm, uh, I'm going to be you know, successful or whatever it might be. And the word for evil in Greek is this word paneros. And, it, and part of it, part of the word itself, there's other aspects, but part of it means to toil. So, so it's, you know, Jesus came to destroy the works of evil, and one of those works is toil. It's working so hard because you believe that without you working hard, you are not going to thrive and prosper. But God has a place called rest for you, where all those things disappear, that you can simply enjoy what God has planned for you in your life because he has finished the work. Rest is not the opposite of working hard. I want to say that too. Like rest is not the opposite of, uh, sorry, rest doesn't mean like ceasing from all activity. That's a better way of saying it. Um, Rest itself uh, can become active. Like the point of the garden, you had these streams of living water that flowed out that produced fruit. So the point of true rest is to produce true fruit. And, And so out of a place of rest, these living waters are flowing out of you. You actually have true fruit to be able to produce. And so there's something that's going to come out of your life in a place of rest. You're not just doing nothing. You know, you're producing something that's going to come out of this place of joy and peace and true wisdom. And if you've been around certain people that know it, uh, you, you just know it. Like, like I'll, um, one of the best examples for me is just looking at a craftsman uh, or craftswoman that has honed what she's doing so well that they can produce like a guitar that sounds incredible, that, that looks beautiful, that produces something like pottery, uh, that communicates, or some artwork, that actually communicates truth because they're so centered in a place of this everlasting life that they actually have something that communicates beauty and fruit that's, that's from above. I mean, it, it centers people. It helps them to draw close to that which they were made for. Continuing on with this passage, uh, but it did the people earlier no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. So God was speaking to them, and they didn't believe, they didn't listen. For only we who believe can enter into his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took a oath; they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been widely ready and always ready since he made the, the, the earth. And so the, the impediment to entering rest is unbelief and not listening for his voice. Um, and so for all of us as a community, like the, the Father, he so loves us that, that he offers rest to us, and he is always speaking to us. In Jesus, he's also given you the gift of having ears to hear, and a heart, a new heart that can truly understand what God is saying, and so that you can believe. We, we've established that in, in, in past weeks, but it, it's, it's worth saying again, you have all that you need to hear and to enter into rest. Um, rest, by definition, in that Greek language, is a, is a ceasing of, uh, of lack. Uh, it can be, in some ways, a violent term, you know, because you know, you, you're, you're ceasing from striving. You are, you are the one that's stopping that. Uh, last week I talked how uh, sometimes believing and striving to enter into rest can be one of the most difficult things in the world to do. If you've ever sat with God, 
you, you got quiet with God, maybe you're going to read your scripture, maybe you just want to sit with him and look at him. You have all these thoughts, you, you have all this inertia from the world, and, and to actually cease to pay attention to those things can be so difficult, seemingly, right? Because we, we believe that those things are powerful, we believe that those things uh, are attractive to us. And so we, we don't uh, we don't often enter into that uh, because we believe that those other things are more powerful, more important, whatever that might be. Um, and so there's a grace for us at all times to enter into that race, to, to the rest, to enjoy that uh, immensely, to, to cease, to strive, to cease uh, from lack itself is something that we as Christians is probably the most important thing that we can do. Um, there's a gentleman that Elizabeth and I follow named Steve Backlund. He's out at uh, Bethel in Redding, California. And he says this passage, Hebrews 4, is one of the most important passages in all the scripture because it helps to define our identity better than anything else. You are called to be a, a people at rest because you are called to be a people of a garden. You are, you are a garden. You are a person or people that have living waters to flow out of you if you will strive to enter into that, if you'll strive to, to believe God for that. Uh, and so oftentimes what that means is that I'll be sitting before God and I will you know, I'll be there for just a few minutes and, and I'm, I'm starting to get distracted or I'm starting to f- feel the, the pull of uh, you know, my body being trained by instant gratification or my mind being trained to have instant stimulation. And, and so to actually pay attention requires me to like force my mind, to force my soul to stop paying attention to those things. And, and often I recognize my own weakness in that, uh, where it feels like I'm powerless. And so I'll just tell God, listen, like these other things are far more interesting right now than you are. It's like, I know that's not true. Uh, so, you know, give me grace. Help me understand, like, give me something to show that this is more powerful, that you are more powerful than these temptations. And he delights to give you these things. So he delights to give you the kingdom, which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so to, to enter into rest means to acknowledge where I'm struggling, where we're struggling to just be still before the Lord and enjoy Him and to ask for grace. He, he loves to do that. Maybe you feel guilty sometimes before God. Well, I haven't prayed today. I, I haven't prayed with you in a month. Or I haven't thought about you in a long time. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry. And maybe you just feel guilty hanging out with God because, you know, you know when you get there, you're going to be like, I, I feel like a big pile of meh, you know, and... And so you know, he's, he's, great. he's like, I, uh, he wants to give you grace. So like, Lord, I, I feel guilty. I feel bad being in front of you right now. And he's like, well, let me just give you forgiveness. Let me give you kindness. Let me just show you that I love being with you. And so he longs to give you rest. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to read through some other uh, definitions of this. This is, um, this is, I just, I love this. So uh, in, one, um, in one translation, uh, I'm going to go into this. Uh, okay, here we go. Um, the opposite of that, uh, to be uh, to have much care of or to be restless. Um, and I'm going to give a, a funny story about this in a bit. To be anxious about many things. There are uh, some fun definitions. Like there's a, a people group called the Shona. And uh, this is a group that's in uh, near Mozambique in Africa and South Africa. They, they're in Zimbabwe. Uh, this word anxious or worried or restless, that's the opposite of rest. 
It means eating for oneself one's own heart. You know, we, we are preoccupied with many things. Um, being black with worry, uh, the, uh, this one group says. Um, there's another group that said, uh, the, the Navajo Indian people, they use this word, which is restless or anxious about many things, to, to say uh, one's own mind is killing yourself. Uh, another group, uh, so these are translators that translate, translate this in these languages. They say that the stomach is rising up. And so, so if I'm sitting there with the Lord sometimes, I recognize that my own appetites to find satisfaction in the world are, are actually eating my own soul's capacity to experience this garden within me. There's a, there, there's a chewing at it. Like if I, if I pay attention and you know, like I, I want to spend some time with the Lord, but I'm, I'm there hanging out with him, and all of a sudden I just remember that there was a certain video from like a sporting event that I, I was watching, and I wanted to catch back up on that, and I go pay attention to that for just a few minutes, and then try to pay back attention to God again. It, it feels like something's been taken from me. It feels like my own heart kind of like gobbled up uh, some fruit that God was wanting to give to me instead. And, and you and I, we may not always be aware of these kind of things because we live such busy lives. But the more that we want to be sensitive to God, the more that you will become very much aware of these dynamics. If you intentionally try, like we fasted a couple weeks ago, if you, if you try to intentionally seek after the Lord and remain at a place of rest with Him, you will begin to notice a subtle difference of how these little things are chewing at your own heart. And yet God's given you this, this garden, this delight that's always available in you. Um, I don't know how many of you guys uh, have experienced like a, a true, like full experience of the Holy Spirit before, where it seems like every part of your being is completely awake and alive, where you feel like joy is in every fiber of your being, where you can feel in every spot of your DNA the, the touch of love, and, and you lose yourself in the presence of God in that moment. Um, that's wonderful when that happens. Um, and that's to give us a little bit of foretaste of what's to come. It's also to help us to know that that is available to us as we seek after him in the course of our life. You're not going to experience it all the time, and, and it's probably going to be a rare gift. But there's more to life in the Spirit than there is in creation itself. And he gives us times like that and experiences like that to help encourage our quest and to continue on with that garden that's within you. And so... Uh, this is an example that he's given us throughout uh, scriptures. So in, uh, in the garden there was rest. Going back now to, uh, I'm going to look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, if you guys go to verse uh, 1 of chapter 31 of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is trying to help establish that this has been a theme throughout all of creation. Like we, we, we were started in delight, and the very first thing that the Father, that we saw when we were created was the Father's face. The very first thing that you saw when you were born, even before your parents, was the Father's face shining on you because he created you. He's always trying to get us back into delight. And so in Jeremiah 31, it says, In that day, says the Lord, I will be their God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. And this is what the Lord says. Those who survive the, the coming destruction, so he's talking about the, the, the judgment that's coming upon Jerusalem, they will find blessings even in the barren land. For I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love I have drawn you to myself. I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will be happy again and dance merrily with your tambourines. 
Again, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. The day will come when your watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. This chapter was written in the midst of Jeremiah's seeing that the people of God were going to be in exile and taken to captivity in Babylon. So you have the very beginning God speaking into creation out of chaos. You have the garden established. You have Moses leading people out of Egypt and out of sin and into the wilderness to show a garden. And then you have, after that, the people of God being taken to Babylon into a desert and wilderness to be shown that they are meant for a garden. You and me, and, and, and this is the story of our family, we have at times gone into wildernesses, either by choice because of sin or sometimes because God wants to purify us. He takes us through deserts and wildernesses only to show that you were made for a garden. Every single time. So, so maybe we, we have like a bad week or maybe we have a, a hard month and we're not discerning God's goodness. We, we can't experience his love or his peace or whatever that might be. The only reason for that is to show you that you were made for a garden. The only reason for that is to show you that as you turn to Jesus, you will find rivers of living water that flow out of you. Joy uh, in the midst of sorrow. Peace in the midst of an anxious times. Uh, you'll have love in the midst of people that are afraid. You'll be able to forgive. You'll be able to have hope. You'll have things that others don't have. That's the only reason for it. It's the story that continues on in all of our lives. You're meant for a garden. You're called to be a garden. And the way to enter into that is through rest is ceasing from striving, ceasing from toil, ceasing from believing that you have lack. In a desert, what's one of the first things that you experience? Lack. <laughs> You've got nothing. Uh, you begin to feel thirsty. You begin to get hungry. Um, years ago, my, uh, my parents, they invited my brother and I down to uh, uh, raft the Grand Canyon, so the Colorado River down there. And, and everywhere around you down there is desert, you know, like rocks, rocks that have, that have been there for billions of years. It's, it's astonishingly beautiful. And, and there's just, it's just barren, except where the river flows. Uh, in, in the middle of this desert, you know, there has been a, a, a river that has so cultivated the land that if you go into the canyons there, they have these little small streams that go away from the Colorado River. There's these like oases. There's these hanging plants and fruits. It's just, it's, a, it's so beautiful there. That's, that's who you're called to be. You're, you're actually called to go into these desert places of your own soul and find the garden that's supposed to be there. And, and the way to enter into that is, is rest. There's also a clue in this, and this is again, Jeremiah 31. Um, the way that we can enter into rest, it says to believe, right? But I'm going to show you what that actually practically looks like. He says in verse 7, Now this is what the Lord says, Sing with joy. Shout for the greatness of the nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Sing these songs over and over again. And it continues on with that. So the point is, this is from Jeremiah. This is also true in the parable of the ten virgins. It's also true, as we're going to see a bit later in, in Hebrews, um, one of the keys to understanding how to remain at rest is to worship. Again, like rest is not the ceasing of activity. It is the ceasing of striving and the ceasing of toil, the ceasing of believing that you have lack. And, and it's, a, it's a violent work sometimes. Uh, 
the way to counter that is, is to worship. If you're, if you're brave to do this, you can, you can lock your door at home and, and just turn on some worship music and, and put out your hands, stand up, maybe sway a little bit if you're, if you're not comfortable with dancing in a room by yourself, and, and begin, begin to sing to the Lord. And begin to let him know that you delight in him. Be- begin to let him know that it feels good to be clean uh, because you are. Let, let him know that you know, it's, it's wonderful that he's made you alive. Whatever these things are that, that come to your heart and your mind, begin to sing a song to him about it. And, and you're going to probably feel at first a little goofy. Uh, you, you might feel a little bit self-conscious. And, and that's to help you see that you're a little self-conscious. Uh, you're a little more focused on yourself sometimes, even than, than you would be on God. And so you begin to begin to, to let your arms out, begin, begin to sway a little bit, and begin to kind of like let the worries and cares of this world kind of go, and, and, and begin to worship the Lord. There's a secret that is it's in the scriptures uh, to this life of Christians, and it's you become like what you worship. And so in the garden, people took the creation and said, I'd rather worship this. I'd rather eat of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and so they took creation itself and said, I will worship creation. And out of that, they became a wasteland. And, and so you, you become what you worship because this world is, is, is going towards chaos. This world, second law, third by dynamics. It, it's going toward, toward entropy. Like the, the, the fruit trees, you know, all these things, that eventually they, they're, they're going to run out of the capacity to produce. Um, but not in God. But you become what you worship. And so if you're going to worship creation, if you're going to worship these things and all these activities and you're going to worship work and money, all these kind of things, then, then you're going to dry up. You're going to become the wasteland itself. But if you worship God, he's this, this living waters, then, then you will find this, this bubbling out overflow. And so worship becomes this violent act against striving as you just sit there and, and joyfully let these things go. And, and eventually, you know, you're worshiping and, and maybe it takes two minutes to do this. Maybe it takes you two hours, you know, I'd, challenge you to do that, uh, to worship the Lord and until you recognize this peace that settles in and the cares of the world grow strangely dim in the light of his face. You begin to notice that those things don't matter anymore. This is, this is the regular rhythm of walking with Jesus. And, and it's astonishing how little sometimes we worship. We may pray, we may read the Bible. It's astonishing how little Christians actually worship by the God, by, God by themselves. We worship here together and it's fantastic. It's to actually train you on how to worship in your homes with your families, with your kids. It's to create a culture of worshiping, you know, with your, with your spouses, with, with your, your friends. Why not? Uh, I remember I was reading through the scriptures uh, when I first became a believer, and I read that in Revelation, all the, the saints of, the, the, you know, of God, they worship God you know, 24 hours a, a day in eternity. And I, I said out loud to God, that sounds so boring. Why would people want to worship you all the time? I had no idea uh, why that would be the case. I'm like, there's the religious reasons. Oh, you're worthy, you're worthy. And that, that was my mind. You know, I was just like, you know, but what's the point of that? I just didn't understand that when you open yourself up to the Lord, and he began to show this to me, you become full of life as you worship him. In this. So uh, to cease striving, to actually enter into rest is, is, is to worship. This is one of the keys. We're going to talk about some more uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, it's to worship. Um, I'll finish off with one story from Scripture. Um, 
briefly. This is from Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Um, now, as Jesus is on their way uh, to another village, there's a woman named Martha who welcomed him into her house, welcomed Jesus. And she had a sister called Mary. And Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. And, and, and this picture of Mary sitting at the Lord's feet is, is just is, is her looking up like, this is the Lord, and, and, and gazed up at him in astonishment, gazed up at him in a sense of this is, this is my God. This is what, what he's saying gives me such life. And, and there's just this reverence, there's this joy. Uh, but Martha was distracted with much serving. And Martha went up to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? This is a, 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 a callback, in my mind anyway, it's a callback to the desert where the people of God are complaining that God's not providing enough for them. And, and here's that same spirit, it's in Martha. Tell her then to help me. Tell her to get back to work. Tell her to work harder. Tell her to get her in action and do the things of, of real productivity. She's just sitting there adoring you. That's not doing anybody any good. So you know the, the first person to say that in Scripture? was Pharaoh. Uh, so Moses came up to Pharaoh and he said, Hey, uh, God wants us to worship at Sinai. Worship. Adore the Lord. And Pharaoh said, Well, who's going to do the work of putting the bricks together? Uh-uh. As a matter of fact, we want, we're going to make the work even harder. We're, we're going to you know, prevent them from putting straw in there. We're going to make the work even harder. You guys are going to work twice as hard. That's the spirit of Martha, you know, coming out. Whenever you guys want to worship the Lord, truly worship Him, one of the first things that's going to tempt you is more work. You're going to hear a little voice in the back of your head, little Martha saying, why aren't you doing more? This is a waste of your time. Don't you know how much, you know, there's things that are out there, 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 there are issues, all that stuff that are out there? Not recognizing that the thing that's going to create a garden in your heart is just that worship. Mary's getting it. There's a garden growing as she's sitting there waiting for Jesus, just looking at him and adoring him. She's becoming what she's worshiping. And for all of us, we've got that little tension. You know, if we want to stretch worship out longer, if we want to have church service, that's just worship. Well, that's just not doing enough stuff for the Lord. And so I, I, I submit this to you because Jesus then responds to her. He says, Martha, Martha, if, you, if the Lord says your name twice, pay attention. <laughs> Martha, 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 Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. The NIV says the better portion. And that will not be taken away from her. For God is jealous for y'all's worship. And if you're going to do it, he will protect it. He will move heaven and earth to make sure that your worship, as you want to give it to him, it's going to work. Jesus says so. It will not be taken from you as you stand there and adore him. If you're having difficulty, if you're being distracted, say, Jesus, I'm being distracted. Tell that Martha to shut up. <clears throat> Give me some grace right now. <clears throat> and he's jealous to make sure that you are able to adore the Lord in that place. It's his heart. There's a garden waiting for you when you do that. The opposite of that is, is Mzungu. The opposite of that is, is these little white devils. These, the opposite of that is, is toil and and running around. The opposite of that is, is being busy and toiling. It's, it's, it's not the life of Christians. We, we can work. We, we can work well, but it's only to produce things that are coming out of our own heart. 
So I'm going to leave you with that. Uh, kind of land on a real quick note. Uh, John tells us that, that you will prosper as your soul prospers. You know, you guys want to know the, the true prosperity gospel? God, God calls you to prosperity. 100%. You're, you're called to be completely prosperous as your soul prospers. Sometimes, though, he'll lead you into wildernesses where you're not going to find external prosperity because that would be the thing that would make you into a Martha. And so he, he's going to gently, but also uh, forcefully at times, guide you so that you learn how to worship him first and always. That's the prosperity that he's really aiming at. And so with that, I want to pray over us.